Please take your Bible. Let's go together to 1 John, 1 John in the New Testament. You might start at Revelation and go the other way. Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, 1 John chapter 1. In a moment, uh, we'll read that. And I guarantee you, John believes Christ is enough. It's good to see you in the Lord's house. Let me just uh, say I am thankful for our students. I'm glad y'all are back today. And I love you, and uh, we have some of the best students and families uh, anywhere, anytime. I want you to know that. I believe that with all my heart. Uh, But at the same time, when we know we have good students, the bar of expectations is a little bit higher. And our, our job is to grow and develop to be more like Christ in character and conduct. We're all about making disciples who make disciples. And that happens as we gather uh, in worship. So love you guys. Thankful for every one of you. Uh, I do see you on Sunday mornings. And uh, I'm thankful for every mom and dad and grandparent that's here. It's going to be fun to dig back into First John. Are you there? 1 John chapter 1, I want to read verses 1 through 10. It's the whole chapter. We'll look at verses 5 through 10 as we uh, focus this morning. But if you're able to stand, let's honor the reading of God's Word by standing. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. This life was manifest and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And, our tr- and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. Here's where we'll start today. This is the message which we heard from him and declare to you, that God is what? Light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him or God out a liar and His word is not in us. Let's pray together. Father, by your grace and by your spirit, guide us in truth. Help us as your children to live in the light as you are, in the, as you are the light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you're being seated, just remember it's John the Apostle that is the author, John and James, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. We believe that John the Apostle is the last surviving member of the Twelve as we come into the context of 1 John. We know historically he's probably the only apostle not to die a martyr's death. Uh, We know this same John is an author of five books in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then the Revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's a prominent guy. We also know that there are two big objectives as we read and study 1 John. He's writing to combat false teaching. So he's going to present truth to combat error. He is also writing to give assurance to believers about their faith, about their salvation. And so 1 John 5.13 was a key verse that we pointed in the epilogue at the end of the book. As John says, these things I have written at the end to you who believe upon the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So our theme is that you may know. That's what John is going to share with us. There's some important things that, that as John gives us markers of true Christianity, uh, maybe markers of authentic faith, those who are real, uh, he's going to present truth because it matters what we believe. 
What we believe determines how we behave. And so there is a behavior test, a true test and a moral test, an obedience test. And then there's that social test. How do we not only love God, but how do we love each other? And as we looked at verses 1 through 4 last week, that was the prologue. And in that prologue, John declared or proclaimed the person, Jesus, the word of life. Here's the important truth that he taught about Jesus, set against the false teaching. Jesus is God incarnate. He was fully God, fully man in the same person. False teaching said, no, he only appeared to be human. But John said, no, my eyes have seen, my ears have heard, my hands have touched. He was really human. And some, some others said, well, the Holy Spirit didn't come upon him until his baptism and then left when he was on the cross. But John refuted that. So John presented the truth about the person of Christ. And as he presented truth about the person of Christ, he began to expose false teaching. Now, at the end of last week, we talked about the declaration of purpose. That's kind of, kind of where we ended. John says, I'm writing that you may have fellowship with us in the body of Christ. Our fellowship is with the Father through Jesus Christ. And so in the body of Christ, the purpose is that we know the fellowship that we have in the body of Christ, the church, that is through the person of Jesus Christ. That's how we have a fellowship with the Father and with one another. But he also said, I write that your joy may be full. And we understand that that word fellowship is more than sitting in church together. It's really beginning to live life together. It's knowing one another, not just by name, but understanding our struggles and encouraging one another and spurring one another on to loving good deeds. That joy is set apart from circumstances. Life happens. Life's not fair. Circumstances are hard. But God is faithful. God is good. And in Christ, we can still have a joy that Christ is enough even as we go through life. Now, we're into verse 5, number 1 on your notes today. John begins with verse 5 because it creates a foundation for two appeals that he's going to make in verses 6 through 10. And verse 5 is that foundation, and he talks about, number 1, the character of God. The character of God. John makes a statement about the origin of his message, and so the authority of the message. Here's what he says. This is the message which we have heard from who? Him. And Him is the person of Jesus Christ, the one who was really man, the one who was really God. We heard it from Him. I witness what I heard firsthand from Jesus. Now I declare to you. That word declare, it can be translated declare or proclaim. We've already seen it in verses 1 through 4, but this particular Greek word is a tad different than those others. This Greek word means to uh, that the work of a herald, maybe the one who went before a king or after a king into a city and began to proclaim the king's message. That herald of the king ran out into the city streets and announced publicly this is the word of the king, and all the citizens of that kingdom wanted to hear what the king had to say. You might go back in time and remember uh, studying that there used to be newspapers and print paper, and back before we had Internet and back before we had this mass media that we have today, that print was very important. Even in wartime, somebody might stand on the street corner with a print, and it says, extra, extra, read all about it. You get the picture? There's something in here that's very important, and people flocked and grabbed it because it was news that impacted their life. Maybe today it's when we're watching our favorite football game, our favorite TV show, and all of a sudden breaking news interrupts. Have you been there and done that? And so that breaking news interrupts. Initially, our response is probably, I need to hear and see what is going on. It might impact me personally. So John is giving us a news flash. He's coming and he's saying breaking news. In the midst of second and third generation believers, in the middle of believers who are going through persecution because of your faith, in the midst of believers who are hearing different doctrines and teachings and are becoming confused, in the midst of believers, 
believers whose passion for Christ is beginning to fade. I've got some breaking news, and you need to hear it. You need to understand who the word of life is, and you need to understand who this God of Scripture is. And so as we get that breaking news, here's the affirmation, the news that John gives us. The affirmation of the messenger, the messenger John, is God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. So John is given truth, truth about God. Who is he? God is light. What difference does it make? Well, what you believe about God determines how you live your life. And so if you have a wrong belief in who this God is, in his character and in his nature, then you can go astray in your lifestyle. You with me? Y'all okay? And so as we hear John make that statement, God is light, he is talking about the moral perfection of God. In his very nature and essence, there is no blemish, there is no stain, there is no no mark of sin on the character of God, none whatsoever. This God of Scripture is set apart and set above any other. He is holy, 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 absolute perfection. Even the sun that's so brilliant and radiant and we cannot stare at has dark spots. And all of its radiance and brightness has dark spots. But the glory of God has no dark spot. He is absolutely pure. God is light. Interesting, in the original text it has no article. He doesn't say God is a light and he doesn't say God is the light. And so what that means is he's really talking about the essence of God, the character, the nature of God. Also, we know the context by the phrase that follows. God is light. In him is no what? Darkness at all. Literally in the Greek, it's called a double negative, and it can be translated this way. There is no darkness in him, none. Bad grammar, good theology. There is no darkness in him, none. And so when John uses that word darkness, we do understand it is a metaphor for sin, sinful lifestyle, light, holy, without sin, dark, sin. And so those are the polar opposites that John has given us. And so he says, God is a God of light in whom there is no stain of sin. He is without spot and he is without blemish. That matters of what we believe about God, this God of Scripture, when it comes to living out our life. So the moral perfection of God is set apart and set above all the false gods of the false teachers that were in John's day. Just a question, what kind of God do sinners desire? What, what kind of God does our culture, you know, most of our culture in the Bible Belt South say, do you believe in God? They're going to say, well, absolutely, I believe in God. You even ask them a question, are you a Christian? And um, the vast majority are going to say, yeah, I believe I'm a Christian. But what do they believe about the God they say they believe in? Really, most of them believe that, that I, I want this God to be soft on sin. I, I really want this God to shut his eyes to my disobedience. I, I believe in a God who always rewards and looks for the good in people and never punishes. I, I believe in a God who is love and, and he's never just. I believe in a God who will always receive, no matter how we come, whether we come in truth or whether we come in pretense, whether they say it or not, they really want to believe in a God who is blind and who is, who is deaf and, and, and a God who is dumb. They really want to believe in a God who is going to give them anything they want. But John says God is light, he's different, set apart, and in him there is no darkness at all. I want to ask, get a little more personal. How often do we as church-going people hope that God will not deal with our personal sin in a very harsh way? How often do we flatter ourselves with excuses about our own sinfulness? How often do we want to point out other people's sin and have blind spots for our own sin? Surely God doesn't expect me to be holy and without blemish and deny myself all the time. Surely this God wants me to have a little bit of fun. Have you ever heard this or said it? After all, I know what the Bible says, 
But all I have to do is ask for forgiveness. Yes. Do we sometimes kid ourselves to think that this God can be bargained with, that the God of Scripture can be bribed and otherwise bought off concerning our own sinfulness? Do we as believers today still struggle with that concept to take sin serious? Well, let me just ask it this way, a little bit non-personal. Do we have individuals who profess to be Christians, yet their life gives no evidence of it? You go out into our culture and you ask them, do you know anybody that professes to know God and goes to church every Sunday, yet they live just like you do, a person who does not claim to know God? You might even be astounded to hear a word to say, well, not only do I know people who go to church and profess to be Christians and, and live no different than I do, I would venture to say my life is probably better than theirs based upon lifestyle. Have you heard that? Getting quiet in here. The basis for fellowship, here's what John's telling us. What sets us apart from any other and every other religion, what sets Christianity apart is the God whom we worship. This God whom we worship is holy, holy, holy. He's the one true living God. He is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. Verses 1 through 4, he talked about having fellowship with one another in Christ. That theme of fellowship continues in verses 6 through 10. And I want you to look at some conditional sentences because there's six phrases in, in this passage. And uh, there, there are three negative pr uh, phrases and then there are three positive phrases. You can pick out the negatives in the New King James anyway with the word if we say. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. That's one. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, truth's not in us. That's two. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Each of these negative statements is followed by a positive statement. So John's going to present an era of thinking and consequences of that thought process, but then he's going to present a positive, but if it's different, and then he's going to give you some assurances based upon what is right and what is true. So on your sermon notes, number two, the confessions of men. It's quite obvious that what John is addressing is probably some of the false teaching that is circulating in those churches, those thoughts that are confusing believers that are leading them astray. Maybe they're entertaining sinful lifestyle and thinking that it's okay because of that teaching of Gnosticism that said uh, everything material is evil and only the spirit is good. So some just adopted that loose living lifestyle. Well, it doesn't matter how I live because the body is bad and, and I can treat it any way that I want to and, and party any way that I want to. It's the spirit that's good. And, and so they go to an extreme of sinful living. Perhaps that was trickling into the church. Here's the first confession. Go back to verse 6. If we say that we have what? Fellowship with Him, with God. Yet we walk in darkness. That's a contrast there. We lie and do not practice the truth. The error is this. To say that we have fellowship but walk in darkness. The error is this. To say one thing and do another thing. The error is this, to live a life of hypocrisy. What your lips are saying and what your life is showing do not match up. And John says, we have a problem if in the church you say one thing, but you live something different, you're in trouble. And so we need to pay attention to what John is saying. That word walk, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, understand that is talking about how we live, behavior, lifestyle. In the Greek text, it's present tense, so here's how it applies. Not only is John talking about how we live, but he's talking about a, a habit, a habitual lifestyle. If we say we have fellowship with God, yet habitually, day after day after day, live in sin then we have a problem. And so walking is talking about behavior. That present tense is talking about a lifestyle. So we understand that you cannot walk in darkness and practice truth at the same time. Are you with me there? We like to do that or try to do that at times. 
Truth is not only something to be believed in, but truth is something to be practiced. Look again at verse 6. At the end of it, he says, If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we lie first of all, and then we do not practice the truth. So the error is to say one thing and live a different way. The consequences are, if you do that, then you just outright lie, and then you do not practice or live the truth. When our words don't match our life, we're not putting the truth of what we say we believe into action. Therefore, we lie. What are we lying about? We're lying about our relationship with God first. Because you cannot be in good standing with God. You cannot have fellowship with Him with sinful lifestyles. It doesn't work that way. And so John is saying you're lying about being in the light because you're living in dark places. Furthermore, uh, we're not practicing the truth. John does not say you don't know the truth. He's talking to Baptists. He's not saying you don't know the truth. He's saying you don't live the truth. There's a lot, dear church, that we know and we don't do. And so John is confronting that, that false behavior of not just proclaiming with your lips and not just knowing with your mind, but then engaging with your life. If your life doesn't back up what you profess with your lips and what you know to be true with your mind, then your faith isn't worth a whole lot. The person who lies in this way is not only speaking a lie, but acting it out every day. Sometimes, that's why reaching and impacting a community through a community of faith, a community called Chelsea with a community of faith, is tough. Because no matter what city we live in, and no matter what city has a community of believers, when you go and try to engage those who are de-churched or unchurched, you're always going to hear about the hypocrites who go to whatever church. Been there and done that? And here's the reality. The church does have some hypocrites. And here's another reality. All of us at some point in time are hypocritical in how we live our life. That hurts, doesn't it? So here's what we need to understand. Light and darkness are mutually exclusive. They do not coexist. Either you're in the light or you're in the dark. John doesn't make a gray area for us. Either you're true or you're false. You're in the light or you're in the dark. Uh, and so John is making it simple for us. When the light comes on, the darkness disappears. Have you ever noticed that in a dark room? But when at nighttime, in a dark, in an area that has artificial light, when you turn the light switch off, what happens? Darkness comes. They do not coexist. So just as darkness cannot exist in the presence of light, sin cannot exist in the presence of God. He is holy, holy, holy. John uses a word for truth that talks about the message of truth. God, God's word and, and we can narrow it down and, and talk about believer. I mean, talk about the gospel. But here's the question for you. We like to ask. We like to try to dissect Scripture and say, you know, that's powerful, that's tough, that's, that's hard living right there, but, but I'm sure John wasn't talking to me. The question is, is John speaking to believers or unbelievers? You study the context of chapter 1, he's talking to those who are in Christ called believers. The letter was written to believers, so the issue is this. Can a true believer walk in darkness? That's one we don't like to reach down to the second layer and ask that question, is it? Can a true believer walk in darkness? There's, there's two answers to that. One, if someone within the body of Christ that comes to church lives continually contrary to the Word of God, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is good reason to question the genuineness of their faith. Just because I stand in my garage doesn't make me my Toyota Tacoma. And just because you're sitting in a chair in church does not make you a child of God. We're, are we okay? And, and so John is, is trying to paint the picture that Believers, it's got to be more than just what you say, and it's got to be more than just where you go. There's got to be some substance. And so he, he's saying that on one hand, 
Just to say that you are in the light's not enough. So unbelievers, there's, there's a, if there's no fruit of salvation, there's evidence that there's lostness. But number two, is it possible for Christians to sin and live in a season of sinfulness or carnality and still be saved? And the biblical answer to that is yes. But you cannot sin successfully. God's not going to allow that. Your sin will find you out, but when the child of God sins, the Holy Spirit of God convicts, and we are miserable. It's not a comfortable place. It's not a place we want to stay. And if we start ignoring the promptings of the Holy Spirit of God, they get stronger and stronger in our life. I would venture to say, if you're harboring sin in your life as a child of God, you are squirming right now, and you are miserable. You know that you're in sin. You like your sin. You want to hang on to your sin, but the Holy Spirit of God is wrestling with you right now. John's going to talk about it a little bit later. God will not be mocked. There is a sin as an un- unto death. I don't know exactly what that is, but it does mean something like this, that if we ignore the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God as a child of God, God has every right, and He just might take us off the earth so that His name will not be mocked. So can believers walk in darkness? Yes, but for a time. And you can't do it without conviction. And you can't do it without the Holy Spirit coming. Walking in darkness can mean anything, uh, any sin, big or small. We Baptists like to categorize our sins, don't we? My sin's not as bad as yours. We like to do that. But what John is talking about, it doesn't matter what your sin is. It's dark. It can be a lie. It can be a thought. It can be an action. It can be premeditated murder, or it can just be hate that's in your heart and mind that nobody else knows about. It can be the physical act of adultery, or it can be be that lustful, sinful, sexual passion that's in your heart and mind nobody else knows about it. It can be that secret sin in the cover of the night that you're in front of your computer screen or your device and you're looking at sexual stuff that is unbecoming to a child of God and you're addicted to this thing called pornography. And statistically, statistics tell us that people who come to church suffer with that, have a problem with that, and they live a life of sin. And when that happens, that is a darkness in your life. And it might involve cheating on a test. It might involve lying to the IRS. It might involve hating your neighbor. It might involve stealing from your employer. Oh, they will never miss it. It might involve scamming people. It might involve neglecting spiritual disciplines like reading the Word of God and praying and sharing the good news of Christ. You may be on the verge of walking in darkness when you begin to justify your sin by another name. Our culture is good at that, and it's called political correctness. Someone said it this way, Sin does not lose its sinfulness by giving it a less offensive name. The old preacher said it this way, A skunk by any other name still stinks. To claim to be in Christ and to belong to God, but then go out and live a life of sin is a hypocritical life. And John is giving truth about the holiness of God in order to confront the wrong mindset that I can come in a worship setting and come to church and profess with my lips that this God is holy and worthy of my worship, but then I can go out those doors and live any sinful way that I want to, and it's okay. John's saying, oh, no. It is not okay because there are some serious consequences if that is you. You lie, and you do not practice the truth. But then look at verse 7. Here's the positive. The appeal of the positive statement in verse 7. But if you walk in the what? Light as he is in the light. John presents an opposite scenario. So if we conduct our lives in the light, and if we live godly lives or behave as believers should... Then there are two assurances. Rather than those consequences, there are two assurances. What are those assurances? We have fellowship with one another. You might say, well, 
I was expecting him to say, then you're right with God. You have fellowship with God. I think what's going on here, John is assuming that if we are right with God, then we're able to have fellowship with one another. And if we are having fellowship with one another, it's an indicator we're already right vertically because here's the reality. If I'm not right with God, then I'm not going to be right with the people around me. And that is a whole lot of what's wrong with relationships in the world today and in, in, in our Christian homes. If our vertical relationship's not where it needs to be, it is hard to be right horizontally, beginning with our marriage, in our family, and in the relationships, even in the body of Christ. So John said there, there is, a, a, there is a, an assurance here is that when we walk in the light, live in the light, according to God's Word, then we can have fellowship. My question is, how do we walk in the light? There's two practical ways that you know very well. We just have to do them. One is we've got to get into the light of God's Word. The psalmist said, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, Psalm 119, 105. Uh, Paul said in Romans 10, 17, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. And so we must get into the Word of God in order to get into the light because what God's Word does, God's Word shares with us truth, and that truth brings us into the light. And God's Word kind of turns that light on in our life. And when the light of God's Word turns on in our life, guess what it reveals? Everything that was in the dark. Sin stuff. You know what that leads us to? The next spiritual discipline, oh, dear God, have mercy on me. That's called prayer. It leads us to a prayer of confession for our sin, and, and we'll get to that maybe, God willing, in just a minute. Prayer, the Word of God. Here it is. When the child of God invests time in the Word of God, then the Spirit of God conforms us into the likeness of the Son of God. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the washing in of the Word of God. So, are you walking in the light as He is in the light? How was your time in the Word of God this week? Because here's the reality. If you didn't spend any time in the Word of God, then you're probably walking in the shadows at best. Because the Word of God brings the light, the truth, into us. We'll come back to the prayer of confession. Two assurances. We have fellowship. That fellowship, again, is koinonia. That koinonia means it's more than sitting in a life group together. It's more than sitting in a worship service together. It, it means with God to have all things in common. With God, vertically, it means that his desire becomes my desire. It means what he loves, I start loving. What he hates, I start hating. What he wants me to do, I start doing. With brothers and sisters in Christ, it, it means we esteem others better than ourselves. It, it means that, that we ask open questions. I want to know, how are you doing? And I don't want the Sunday school answer that I'm fine. Because all of us, including your preacher, if you ask me on the way out, how you doing, Brother Tim? I'm good. I'm upright. You're going to hear it. But if somebody pulls me offside, one of my brothers in Christ and accountability partners say, how can I pray for you this week? Tell me, what's going on in, my, in your life that I can partner with you and spur you on to loving good deeds? How can I help you this week? You might hear something different. I want to ask you, church, you're sitting in life group together, you're sitting in worship together, but are you having things in common together? That's what it means to live life together. Here's the reality. Behind every face that you see, they're struggling. None of us are in perfect light. All of us are journeying through. And the enemy battles against all of us. And then we need, as we try to walk in the light through Scripture, through prayer, by coming weekly for corporate worship and life group, we need each other to help us journey through. What do we have in common? Jesus Christ. What do we have in common? Purpose. Because the mission of the church is to continue what Christ started. He came to seek and save the lost. He started making disciples. He passed the baton to the people called the body of Christ. We have fellowship with one another. That is one of the benefits as we walk in the light as he is in the light. That's good news. But the second one is even more exciting. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. 
cleanses us from that dirt, from that sinful stain. Dr. R.G. Lee, great pastor of our, our denomination in times past, he, he could craft words. Here's what he said about sin. He said, sin is the skull set amidst the banquet. Sin is the desert breath that drinks every dew. A madness in the brain, a poison in the heart, an opiate of the will, a frenzy in the imagination. Sin, the disease of the soul, the instrument of the everlasting ruin, the midnight blackness that invests man's whole moral being, subverted the constitutional order of man's nature. Sin, promising velvet, giving a shroud, promising liberty, giving slavery, promising nectar, that which is sweet, giving gall, or that which is bitter, promising perfumed handkerchiefs, and giving foul rags, promising silk, giving sackcloth. Sin will never give you what it promises. Today's culture has changed the label on the bottle called sin and falsely assumed that we've changed the contents. Remember, sin by any other name still stinks to high heaven. And it's offensive to a holy God. Look at verse 7, though, that word cleansing. Verse 7 is that daily cleansing from sin in the life of the believer. That reference to the blood of Jesus is a reference to what he did on the cross. He died in our place. He shed his blood that was without spot and without blemish. We call it an atoning sacrifice. What animal sacrifices could never do, Jesus did. They just covered temporarily sin. Jesus covered once for all sin. He is the remedy of our sin problem. And so what we we struggle with, we think about Jesus' death on the cross and his shed blood. We go back to our point of salvation and believe when Jesus said it was finished, that his sacrifice and shed blood on the cross is sufficient, it's enough to offer us forgiveness and the gift of salvation, and it absolutely is. But the power of the gospel and the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, hear me, church, works every single day in our life. It covers every single sin, past, present, and future sin, everything that we've ever done and everything that we ever will do. The blood of Jesus goes on cleansing day after day after day after day. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Cleaning us from something that is horribly dirty. Sin causes the Christian to be spiritually dirty or soiled and disrupts our fellowship with the Holy God. We need cleaning. Not only does he forgive and cleanse, but inside of this it means he takes the guilt away. Have you ever struggled with guilt? Even as a believer, John views sin as an act that defiles that needs to be cleansed. You notice he didn't say that your sin will be cleansed through coming to church, through a rite. He didn't say your sin will be cleansed when you're baptized through a ritual. He didn't. He didn't say your sin will be cleansed when you observe the Lord's Supper, a ceremony. He didn't. He didn't say that your sin will be cleansed when you give something in the offering plate. I hope you do, but it's not going to forgive your sins. He said your sin will be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from sin. It's just like the old hymn that we grew up singing, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen? All of our sins, sins of thought, word, deed, they're gone. Sins where my heart has been cold toward Him. Sin against the Holy Spirit of God, all are gone. Sins of commission, sins of omission, not doing what I should do. Big sins, little sins, they're all gone. Sins of breaking the law of God and being disobedient to the Word of God. Sins of profaning the holy name of God, failing to love Him supremely, they're gone. Sins of presumption, knowing better. Better, but not doing better, sins of ignorance, sins of willfulness, all unknown sins, they're all cleansed by the blood of Jesus from salvation forevermore. Hallelujah. What a Savior. John says, but if we walk in the light, it's condition, as He is in the light. Now, we cannot be as perfect as God is. You get that, right? So he's not talking about to the degree of perfection of God, but he's talking about in the likeness of his perfection. Walk in the light as he is in the light, and we'll be cleansed from all sin. Now look at verse 8. 
if we say that we have no sin. Does anybody ever do that? Are there really people who say they have no sin? Apparently, they were doing it in John's day, and I guarantee it still happens in our culture. You ever heard anyone say, I had not done anything to ask forgiveness for? The Bible teaches that every human being enters this world at birth as with a sin nature. In other words, we all have a bent and a propensity toward sin. When we're old enough to discern right and wrong, guess what? We're going to choose to sin. Every single person. We cannot stop ourselves from sinning because we have a nature that is sinful. We are not sinners because we sin. Rather, we sin because we are sinners. Ultimately, our sin problem goes all the way back to Genesis 3 and Adam and Eve. Think about it for a moment, parents and grandparents. Do you ever have to teach your children how to be selfish? How to lie? How to cheat? It just comes naturally, doesn't it? We don't have to teach ourselves how to do that, do we? In fact, we have to teach our children and ourselves not to do those things because we have a nature that's bent to choose the wrong thing. Are some sins worse than others? Someone said it this way. It's a pretty good statement. All sin is equally wrong, but not all sin is equally bad. Now, in God's eyes, all sin is sin. doesn't matter how big or little. All sin is bad. All sin is wrong. But here's what that statement really means. I would prefer you to hate me in your mind than to act out your hate by killing me. Does that make sense? And, and so there are some sins that are not as equally bad. Jesus said if you have hatred in your heart, you've already committed murder. But that murder being committed in somebody's heart, in somebody's thought process, in somebody's emotion of hatred doesn't have the consequence that if you would pull out a gun and shoot me dead. And then there's a legal problem. Then there are consequences that are far more severe. And, and so uh, John is, is letting us know that, that you cannot confess to have no sin. Even after you save, do you realize that you still sin? Just look in the mirror. Ask your spouse. Ask your mom and daddy. Ask somebody around you that you trust. Do we still sin as believers? We do. But John says you need to be careful about the lies that are going around that you're not sinful. Apparently, there's a group teaching that you can, you can reach a point of sinless perfection here on earth. You can't. That's not biblical. So he said if you believe that, then you're, you're deceiving yourself, and then the truth is not in you. The word sin in verse 8 is singular. Did you catch that? Verse 8 said, if we claim to be without sin, but jump to verse 9. If we confess our what? Plural. Did you catch that? It's significant. The appeal, the positive side of, of this negative statement, but if we confess our sins... We do two things with sins, dear church, and you're going to choose to do one of those two things before we leave. You either try to cover it or you can confess it. There's not a whole lot else you're going to do with them. And so if we confess our sin, that is singular. Why is it singular here? Because John is saying that even as believers, we still struggle with a nature that we still have called a sin nature. And so we're still tempted by the presence and power of sin in the world in which we live. We have an enemy that still puts that bait in front of us, trying to trip us and make us fall. Hear me now. This is important. When we sin as a child of God, you do not cease to be saved. When we sin as a child of God, it does not impact what we call our sonship or our relationship personally with our Heavenly Father. It doesn't impact that any more than parents. When our children disobey, we don't kick them out of the house and change their last name and kick them out of the will. We don't disown them. We may feel like it sometimes, but we don't. No more than we would do that, God does not do it. Now, here's what sin does do. It interrupts the fellowship that we have with the Holy God. 
That's why we need daily confession. That's why John says if we confess our sin with an S on it, he is talking about specific sins. Hang on. When we pray, it's okay to pray, dear God, forgive us of all our sins if we're in a public setting. But that doesn't get it for the child of God to walk in the light as he is in the light. We must get back in our walk with Jesus to be very honest with him because he knows it anyway and call sin what he calls sin. Oh, dear God, forgive me of hatred that is in my heart. Forgive me of bitterness. Forgive me of envy. Forgive me of jealousy. Forgive me of lust that is in my heart. Forgive me of sexual perversion and sin and addiction to pornography. Forgive me of adultery in my heart. Forgive me of murder in my heart. Forgive me of lying. Forgive me of of cheating. Forgive me of saying that I'm a child of God, but I'm living my life for myself. God, forgive me for specific sin. Are you with me, church? Confession time ought to take a little time because all of us have those specific sins that we need to call back to God. But oh, what a cleansing it is when we specifically call those ugly things back to God. I dare you to do this. I do it often, and it's ugly. Write down what the Holy Spirit brings to mind. If it's a lie, write it down. If it's cheating on the test, write it down. If it's lust in your heart, write it down. If it's hatred in your heart, write it down. Write down those ugly things called sin. Look at them just for a moment. Don't hang out there. Don't gaze there. But then write forgiven over it because the Bible says if we call it back to God, identify that it's sinful behavior, he then is faithful. Here are the assurances. He's faithful and just, and he can be faithful to the promise to forgive because what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He can be just in offering forgiveness because Jesus took our penalty on his own shoulders. He's faithful and just to forgive us and then do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be washed as white as snow. I take a bath every day. Amen. I got my amen. But it's not because you think I'm going to stink. It's because I just can't function well if I feel sticky or smelly and, and clammy. I just I don't like it. I like to feel clean. And I do that daily. If I do that physically, how much more do I need that spiritual bath through confession and repentance on a daily basis? We serve an awesome God, don't we? You've seen the phrases, and I'm going to land the plane. We'll, we'll pick up here next week. First two phrases, if we say. If we say we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, then we lie and we do not practice the truth. So, church, are you saying one thing? But honestly, God is your witness Are you living it out? You see, our heart is not always light from corner to corner. God is holy, and his light is endless, and there's no dark spot in it. But what happens in our lives is there gets to be shadows in our heart where sin begins to abide dark places or closets that we close and lock up and say, God, that's mine. You can't have that. But when God turns the light of truth on, he exposes what's in the night. I want to ask you, are you living according to the truth to the best of your ability if you profess to be a child of God? If not, you're lying about who you are and, you're, and the, you're not practicing what God says. Number two, that's fellowship. When's the last time you had an extended session of confession? When's the last time you really got uncomfortable with your own prayer and hated to hear the things coming out of you that you had to get out because they were ugly, they were dirty, they, they, they just made you unclean? Here's the good news about that. When, when we get that dirt out, that old 
grime and, and filthy sin and we painfully call it back to the Lord and we desire to turn from it, there's a peace. It's kind of like God's Clorox. He brings it in. Not only does he say, you're forgiven, that's what I did on the cross, but he says, I will even take the stain away. And that's good news. So, dear child of God, how's your walk? Are you saying you're in fellowship but living in sin? How's your prayer life? Are you confessing on a daily basis specific sins so that you can walk in the light as he is in the light? If not, why not start right now? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you'd guide us to walk in the light as you're in the light. But we understand your word to be conditional. It's not how we define light. It's not how we define truth. It's about following your word. And so, Father, we just ask humbly that you will, by your spirit, who is the spirit of truth. He's almighty God who sees all things and knows all things anyway. Your word teaches us that our lives are really laid bare before you. They're naked in your sight. There's nothing we can hide. There's no dark corner that you do not see. There's no secret closet that you do not know what's in it. There's no thought that roams around in our mind that you're unaware of. So every sinful thing that ever comes through us, oh dear God, unfortunately, you know. Give us courage, not only to hear, but give us courage to obey. And Father, help us not to be guilty of what some of the believers were falling victim to in John's day of professing to be in the light, yet living sinfully. Or saying that I'm a child of God now and, and I'm good and we're not dealing daily with specific sins that trip us up. Father, I pray there might be people at the altar today. I know none of us after a sermon like this want to come to the altar because everybody thinks we're guilty. But the reality is there's not an innocent person in this room. We're all guilty sinners. But, oh, Father, I pray that in a few moments if we obey you and, and do those positive statements that we walk in the light as you are in the light. Father, we'll have fellowship with you and with others and we'll experience that cleansing. We'll have forgiveness and cleansing from all unrighteousness. May that be the reality when we leave. And, Father, we can walk in the light then as you are in the light. The only way we're going to reach our community is to live different. And we cannot do that without the power of your Holy Spirit and your word guiding us. But let it begin in somebody today. Oh, God, let it begin in Jesus' name. Amen.